morning, everyone. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. What a beautiful, wonderful morning this morning, uh, celebrating these baptisms. And uh, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be here. Um, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, walk with you these days, to know your heart, and to trust you, Lord, for the things that you want to say to us today. Thank you for uh, Anna and uh, Janelle. Lord, uh, what significant steps in their lives. And to be able to declare it publicly that they're your friends, that they're followers of you, Lord. So bless them and keep them, Lord. Wrap your arms around them. Protect them as they walk with you in the, in the days ahead. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning. Pray you'd bless us as we open our hearts to it. And may your Holy Spirit just speak to us the nugget of truth that you intend for each one of us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, the uh, passage that uh, Carl read for us this morning uh, actually reminds me of uh, Mark Twain, you know, the famous writer and humorist, uh, and uh, he was accompanied by one of his, by his wife on one of his visits to the Holy Land, uh, and uh, they were staying at Tiberias uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and it was just a beautiful night when they were there. It was a moonlight night, and the weather was perfect, which gave uh, Mark Twain the romantic idea of taking his wife for a boat ride uh, on the lake. <clears throat> so they walked down to the pier, and Twain inquired of a man uh, sitting in a rowboat how much he would charge to uh, row them out onto the water. And uh, remember, this is, this is way back. This is about 1890. So the oarsman, presuming him to be uh, a wealthy rancher from the USA, and I don't know if we've got a picture of, of uh, Mark Twain here, but he always would dress in his white suit and... Uh, he, uh, the oarsman said, well, I guess uh, about $25. Now, that was 1890. That was a lot of money in 1890. And so Mark Twain thanked him. And as he turned away with his wife on his arm, he was heard to exclaim, now I know why Jesus walked. <laughs> now I know why Jesus walked. Well, we've come to a great passage uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, that speaks about Jesus walking uh, on the water. But I think you're going to see also it's a narrative about Christmas peace. The peace that comes with the calming of the storm is the same peace that enters into our hearts that obviously has entered into the hearts of uh, Anna and Janelle as they've surrendered their hearts to the Lord. That's what the Lord does. He brings a beautiful sense of peace, and he, 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 he calms the raging sea within each of us, and he gives us a peace. And there's nothing like walking through this world with a deep sense of the peace of God. So let's just stop to connect the dots this morning. Uh, the next steps, uh, prayer. And if you've got your Bible, follow along. I'll just kind of go through it. If you've got your hard copy, or maybe you've got a soft copy, whatever you've got there, just open with me to Mark chapter 6. We're fresh off an amazing miracle from Jesus, which we refer to as the feeding of the 5,000. Probably more specifically, the 15,000, because with all the families there, there were a lot of people. 
And it says immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everybody goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Uh, Sometimes you have to kind of take a second look at what you're reading or what you just read. And, And you see something that jumps out at you. How about the word insisted? Insisted. Uh, isn't that an interesting word in this context? Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. Now, the, the crowd had been dangerously fueled with messianic fervor after the feeding of the 5,000. And they wanted to do some things that uh, Jesus was not prepared for. And uh, no wonder Jesus wanted to get his disciples out of there. Because the fervor was mounting. And lest they fuel the fire even more, he wanted them to move on. And it appears that he had some difficulty getting them into the boat. Because the NIV says he made his disciples get into the boat. Sounds like a little pressure. We had the grandkids over last night, and you just hear that, come on, now we're going. It'll give you five minutes, uh, three minutes, and now we're going. It's just this challenge to collect everybody and out the door because we're having so much fun. So he got them into the boat, and can't you just see him giving them just a big shove with the boat, uh, and uh, out they go, and they they begin to row. En route to Bethsaida to get that rest that they've been looking for. And his next step was to say goodbye to the people. And I'm struck by this. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. I'm so glad that Mark put it that way because uh, I have this picture of Jesus standing at a strategic place and shaking hands and giving hugs to everybody that went past him in the line. And he was interested in each one. Uh, It's kind of like Pastor Norb. Through all these years, he has positioned himself at the back of those two doors. Oh, close to the food table, mind you. Uh, So he can say hello to everybody. He knows Nearly everyone. And do you know that what I think? I think Jesus, as he greeted all of these people, was carrying a concern in his heart with every hand that he shook and every little hug he gave. I think he was saying to himself, you don't get it. You don't get it either. It's not clear to you. You have different motives. Because we have this thought in a parallel account in John chapter six fifteen that says they were ready to force him into the role of a new king for their country. They'd been waiting, and they were waiting to force him into the role of a king. They didn't get it. They didn't figure out yet who Jesus really was. And you know, that his disciples, can you imagine, still really didn't get it either to this point. Can I catapult you right to the, to the last verse of our text this morning? Mark chapter 6, verse 52. For they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. 
Isn't that quite a revelation? We'll come to that in a moment. I'm so glad that when we don't get it, we can ask Jesus to repeat it. And he does. And Mark and I have often said through the years, Lord, if we're too thick and we're not hearing you clearly, please bring it by again. Please bring it by again. And maybe, maybe we'll get it the second time. Maybe we'll get it the third time. And that's why he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Verse 46 is both informative and a reminder. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. On his knees. That's where he was safe. That's where he got perspective. There was coming opposition... And where do you find Jesus? On his knees. It's the only safe place. The same for us. When the winds of adversity pick up, it's just an important reminder for us to be with the Father. Wouldn't you have loved to be in that prayer meeting with Jesus and listen to him talk to his Father? Oh, that would help us so much in our prayer life. Uh, Father... Help me live out my mission. Maybe the same prayer as he prayed a couple of years later in the Garden of Gethsemane. uh, Not my will, but thine be done. And for us today, Father, give us courage to press forward. Father, help us to hear your voice in these days when things are changing in our country and in our culture and in our world. Father, I commit myself to your mission. You know, everything that TCC does that is of great significance comes as a result of us being on our knees. Right? God gives us dreams on our knees. He gives us dreams on our knees. He gives us wisdom on our knees. He gives us next steps on our knees. He gives us peace on our knees. So connecting the dots. Secondly, the the next step's a storm. You know that God allows storms to come to us. We would sooner they pass us by, but regardless, they come. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. It says he intended to go past them. Now, this is some Old Testament theology, as when the presence of God would pass by, like at Passover. So it's a reference to God's presence, not that he intended to walk past them and ignore them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Did you catch the phrase, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble? And he waited before coming to the rescue? Uh, At three o'clock in the morning? He decides to cross, walk across the lake to his destination. 
But these guys have been out there rowing against the wind and the waves for nearly 12 hours. The Sea of Galilee, if you've been there, is notorious for these quick squalls that come up. And uh, it's still true today for, for tourists that go there. Your trip could be easily canceled or you might get a little, little trip along the, the seashore, but not right across it. But it was 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was a time when the night was at its darkest. It was at a time when they were exhausted. They were completely worn out. And this is often how he comes to us, that we might learn the inadequacy of our own strength and really depend upon him. Sometimes God allows us to come to the end of our human resources in order to get our attention. And what a lesson he was teaching them to to depend upon the one they had come to know over these years and to be able to relinquish their own strength and take hold of the power of Jesus in, in their lives. And that's what he's doing in all of our lives today. He's He's asking us to relinquish our own strength and take hold of the power of Jesus in our life. Uh, Through the years, I have watched people move from the discovery of an acute illness during a routine checkup into the diagnosis, the, the desperate hours of a fatal diagnosis. And there are some who completely shift the weight of their trust from a nitty-gritty self-confidence that we're going to beat this to finally coming to a place where you say, God, you have me. You have me. You, you have all the days of my life. You will heal and you will sustain as you will. And some have found healing in many different forms. Sometimes they've walked out of those situations whole and healed. And sometimes their disease went into remission while they ministered to other people. And sometimes they died with the sweet amen of peace upon their lips. He's not a cookie-cutter God. Every situation is unique. Whatever you're facing today is unique. It's your own unique journey. But what is common to uh, all of us is the invitation to trust Him uh, when we run out of our strength, to trust Him when our resources are all gone and all we have is Him. Can I give you just three quick perspectives that I think apply to all of our lives and all of our situations? Number one, everybody hurts. Everybody hurts. Everybody around us, everybody that you talk to, everybody in your family, everybody has something that they're carrying. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but we all carry something. We never say it, but we often live our lives as if being a Christian gives us a detour around difficulties. It's possible that we think because we came to Christ that somebody handed us a card that says, exempt from trials and tribulations. But it's not so. Everybody hurts. Second, none of us are superhuman. We're only human. To be human means to have limits on our life. No no matter how much strength we have. And no matter how rugged and determined we are as we pull those oars day by day by day against the wind and the waves, we still can't outmatch the storm. 
But it's a reminder and it's a challenge to not get so focused on your storm that you lose sight of the Lord. Because that's what he's doing in all of this. Actually, God wants to speak to us and come to us in our storms. And many times God allows storms in our lives in order to speak to us in a way that we'll hear him when we don't hear him in the calm. And suddenly our heart's reception changes when the storms are raging. And we say, yes, Lord, yes, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? Thirdly, God is in control. When you admit your weakness and you surrender your life anew to God, then you are awesomely reminded that God's in control. And he's not going to abandon you. He's going to see you through your situation. And that's the greatest joy and the greatest thing in our lives, that no matter what storm we're in, that God is with us in that storm. He is near to you. He waits for your invitation for him to come into your boat and bring his peace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor arrested by the Gestapo, put in prison for his resistance against uh, Hitler. But while in prison, he was a prolific writer, and he wrote uh, many letters to his closest friends, and particularly one friend. And those letters were smuggled out of prison, and his friend read them and buried them in his backyard for safekeeping until the end of the war. And then he published them as letters and notes from prison. And one of those notes reads, I believe that God will give us all the strength that we need to help resist in times of distress. But he never gives it in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not God alone. God will give us the strength, but he never gives it in advance. We trust him for every day that comes to us and the fact that he will be there and he'll be by our side in our journey day by day by day. So next steps, connecting the dots, facing the storm, and then receiving a personalized word. Receiving a personalized word. In our Hearing God seminar, we talk about the many ways that that God speaks to us. And there are so many ways that we hear the voice of God. But the most common way is the still small voice. And we call the still small voice a thought. A thought that is, we just know that's not our thought. That's a God thought. An impression, perhaps a whisper that we can distinguish as being his whisper to us. His word in us as opposed to our own words. And then we grow in our ability to hear those whispers. And the Lord wants us to keep growing, to keep hearing him and listening to him. That prayer is not just one way, but it's two ways. And that he wants to speak to us. And Mark says that the disciples in the boat were terrified when they saw him. They didn't recognize him. So Jesus spoke to them and he gave them a personalized word. He said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here, it is I. Now when Jesus says, it is I, he gives the most comforting word to any Jewish believer because that phrase, it is I, in the original language, literally means I am. I am that I am. Same phrase that God said to Moses, tell them I am sent you. 
Don't be afraid. I am is here. And then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. In the midst of the storm, when we hear his voice, everything changes. Of all the miracles, his presence is first and foremost. If we know that he is personally present with us in the middle of the storm, then everything else is okay. Don't be afraid, I am here. Now we know from Matthew's account that this is where Peter blurts out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. And Jesus said to him, yes, come. Yes, come. Note it's carefully, uh, it's another personalized word for Peter. Not for everybody in the boat, but for Peter. A personalized word. There are times in your life when God gives you a personalized word. Listen for it. Obey it. And say, yes, 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 I come. And you know the story that Peter started out okay. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he put them on the raging sea and the the strong winds and the waves. And suddenly he began to sink. Now, I know that uh, we, we can be a little bit hard on Peter for his zealous behavior. But maybe we just ought to see this as challenging to where we're at. Because he got up after hearing those words from Jesus. And he put both legs over the boat and he stood up. Even if for a short time. You say, but he didn't stand there for five minutes. He didn't walk around and just tool around a little bit. And he began to sink. I know, I know. But, But wait a minute. Who can you name other than Jesus Christ as a person who walked on the water? Just Peter. That's the only other person I know. And I know that you'll probably never do anything great for the glory of God if you're not willing somehow to get out of the boat. The boat can be your safe place. And we can be comfortable there. And I keep saying, Lord, I got to get out of my boat. What, where do I need to get more uncomfortable? God is guiding people as they get out of their comfortable places all around the world. There are some tremendous stories around the world today of people getting out of their boat. In China, in Pakistan, in Australia. Great stories of faith and people stepping out. Did Peter fail? Remember it says he began to sink, but did he fail? Not really. He just he moved forward in his ability to trust Jesus and to really know who Jesus is. He moved forward. Somebody asked Winston Churchill, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? Because as you know, for a period of time, Great Britain stood virtually alone against Nazi Germany as it dominated the Western world. And this was Churchill's response. And he said, it was the time I repeated a class in grade school. The questioner said, you mean you flunked a grade? And Churchill said, I never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. (laughs) Given a second opportunity to get it right. Did Peter fail? Well, there were 11 other disciples in the boat. Did they try to get out of the boat? No. 
their, their failure was safe, unnoticed, and uncriticized. But we will never be all that we could be individually or as a church until we make up our minds to get out of the boat. Peter received a personal word and a personal touch from Jesus, the Son of God. And that was just very pivotal in the lives of all of these men, Peter included. And here's where we have this response that says they were totally amazed at what had happened. And this little note, they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. That just tells you they were still trying to figure out who their leader was. And this situation seems like it puts it over the top. And Matthew's gospel says they worshipped him. And Peter said, you truly are the son of God. You truly are. I knew you were special, but you are the son of God. So awesome. And the Mark narrative is a beautiful illustration of Christmas peace. Here we are, first Sunday in Advent. Beautiful. And we all love this season of the year. And Jesus is our peace. The announcement of who he would be stretches back hundreds of years. Right back to the prophetic word from Isaiah. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And on this first Sunday of Advent, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Eucharist as a way of reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ gave us the greatest gift in the world when he gave us peace through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. It is a peace that is beyond anything else because it comes as a result of the cleansing and the forgiving work of Jesus Christ. He forgave our sins and gave us a brand new start. So as we gather around the Lord's table this morning to say thank you to God for his personal word of peace spoken into our hearts through Jesus Christ, let's remember to thank him and praise him and give him the glory for all that he has done for us. So let's pray. Father, thank you. As we enter uh, into communion, we thank you for the reality of uh, you calming the storms in our lives. Lord, uh, you speak to us this morning, and you remind us, Lord, that you want to stretch us, you want us to step out, you want us to, to exercise our faith, You want us to trust you, Lord, with the situation that you put into our laps these days. So give us faith like Peter. Give us an awareness again that you truly are the Son of God. And we worship you and we love you in Jesus.